It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying different Hey everyone and welcome to the Growth Hub podcast brought to you by SaaS marketing agency Advanced B2B. It's your host here Edward Ford and today we're joined by a very special guest Rand Fishkin. Now Rand is one of the biggest influencers in both the B2B SaaS and B2B marketing spaces and over the course of his career Rand has founded two SaaS companies Moz in 2003 and Spark Toro in 2018. He co-founded Inbound.org with HubSpot's Damesh Shah in 2011, published his book Lost and Founder, a painfully honest field guide to the startup world in 2018, is a renowned keynote speaker, and you might also know him as the star of the ever-so-popular Whiteboard Friday video series. Rand's been in the field for over 15 years, and in this episode, we draw on all those years of experience as he shares his field guide to B2B SaaS marketing with us, where we discuss the actual purpose of marketing and what it should achieve, the evolution of the SaaS space from 2003 to 2018 and what it means for marketers today, how to balance between long-term growth strategies and short-term growth tactics, the importance for marketers and SaaS companies to be behavior-driven and not goal-driven. We also hear why Rand started SparkToro and some of the important lessons he learned from building Moz that he's applied now when building SparkToro, and we also get a sneak peek into how Rand's developing the marketing strategy for SparkToro, including how Rand would approach it if he didn't have the hard-earned luxury of a huge social following. There's a host of lessons to take away from this episode, and as ever, make sure you stay tuned to the end of the episode where Rand takes on our Fast 5 challenge. So here we go, it's episode number 28 of the Growth Up Podcast with Rand Fishkin, founder of Moz and Spark Toro. Welcome to another episode of the Growth of Podcast and welcome to the show, Rand Fishkin, founder of Moz and Spark Toro, co-founder of Inbound.org, author of the amazing book Lost and Founder and all-round marketing hero. So Rand, thank you so much for joining us today. Edward, it is my pleasure to be here. Yeah, we are so excited to have you on the show. And actually, when we started the podcast last year, we thought, one day, maybe one day, we'll have Rand Fishkin on the show. And, <laughs> and here we are this evening discussing your field guide to B2B SaaS marketing. But I would actually like to start things off with a very fundamental and I guess existential question. But why do we actually need marketing? What, in your opinion, is the purpose of marketing? Uh, I think marketing's job is to help people understand Uh, how your business or your organization can solve their problems. And, you know, marketing is everything from how you brand yourself to where where you communicate to people. It is uh, how you talk to them. It is um, how you earn their attention. Uh, It's, it's obviously includes advertising, although I, I like breaking out the two. Uh, most of the time, because I think that it can be useful to discuss advertising separately from marketing. But um, yeah, marketing is essential in any sort of world where there aren't 50 people living in a village and one store. Once once you have store number two, you need to do marketing. Yeah, exactly. Now, you've been in SaaS for about 15 years, which is a pretty impressive achievement in itself. But 
how has the SaaS space changed from when you started Moz or SEO Moz back in 2003 to now in 2018 when you're starting Spark Toro? Yeah, I mean, in massive ways. I, probably the, the biggest ones is just that what SaaS means is much, much broader. So in, you know, in 2003, 2004, uh, software as a service was basically um, only included the direct sales enterprise model. Uh, even in 2009 and 2010, when I was trying to pitch VCs in, you know, on Sand Hill Road, uh, the, they were unfamiliar with and very uncomfortable with Moz's model of self-service, right? Attracting people. We were essentially okay. freemium slash free trial. We had, we sort of used both models and those were very uncomfortable for, for folks. They thought, I don't think it'll scale and can this really work? And, you know, it sort of took until MailChimp and SurveyMonkey and other businesses like those took off for any investors to have any belief that self-service could work at all. Yeah. And I think now when people think of SaaS, they, they almost default to that thinking, the self-service direct sales model. And I think another major change is that the SaaS space is so crowded now. So you mentioned there was in, in a time when there was just one store in the village. Now we have hundreds of stores in the village. And yeah. we've all seen Scott Brinker's famous MarTech 5000 landscape. But even if you don't operate in the MarTech space, we're living in a time of almost infinite competition. So how can marketers help their companies to stand out in a crowded market? I mean, I think that there's numerous ways. So marketing is an option. It is one way that you can stand out, but there are many others. Um, product is obviously another big one. Um, strategy is a, a big one. Uh, niche, the niche that you serve, your customers, your people, your customer service. Um, yeah, virtually any aspect of the company and, and hopefully multiples of them can be, you know, uh, ways that you stand out from the crowd. Yeah. And you yourself, you worked so hard to establish yourself as a major thought leader and influencer in the marketing space. And you wrote that, uh, I'm going to quote you here, I've published no fewer than 1000 blog posts before my posts achieved consistent broad readership. Yet in B2B marketing today, I think especially in SaaS, we've become obsessed with quick wins, growth hacks, shortcuts. <laughs> Uh, so, so how important is it for marketers to be patient and actually focus on longer-term growth strategies rather than short-term tactics? I mean, it, a little bit depends on who you are, right? So, if you, you know, if you have raised uh, a venture round and you have a high burn rate, you don't have a lot of options, right? You're you're locked into a mode of thinking where it is absolutely required to get you know, short-term tactics and quick returns, and you don't really have the patience or the time to be thinking about the long-term. But on the other hand, if you've got, you know, a side project or you are um, in an audience building mode and then in a product building mode and you've got uh, time on your hands or you are a consulting firm and you're moving into SaaS, uh, but you can make some, you know, money, with with the consulting business and that sort of puts food on the table in the meantime, yeah, I think that I think that then it is very wise to have the patience um, to be able to say, hey, I recognize that we're going to make investments that won't work, and we're going to learn, and then we won't do those anymore, and we're going to make some investments that will work, and we're going to double down on them and get better, and over time, you know, we're going to have something really special. Um, and certain you know certain types of techniques work differently, so. 
uh, content marketing, branding, uh, event marketing, um, you know, I think a lot of uh, a lot of tactics in the organic marketing world, like SEO and public relations and PR, uh, earning press, word of mouth. Those things take time, right? They build upon each other, but they take a lot of time to show returns. Versus, you know, um, advertising, for example, which is sort of dollars in, dollars out model, uh, conversion rate optimization, which if you're doing it right, should show returns pretty quickly. Um, a lot of the, you know, one-off growth hacks, which to be honest, most of them have been burned to the ground and no work now. And you know, have to be very creative to find new ones. But when you find one that works, it, you know, you, like most growth hacks, um, you know, Andrew Chen has this, uh, this great graphic that he calls the law of shitty click-through rates. Yes. And I think growth hacks, growth hacks work pretty much the same way, right? They, they start working pretty well. And then after people have seen them and they've been, you know, exhausted and adopted by a few companies, uh, they, 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 the ROI trends to zero pretty quickly. And, you know, that's, if, if you're willing to sort of find one hack after another, that, that can work. We've had the, there's other problems with hacks, which is usually they are legally and ethically dubious. You know, a lot of people, I think, in the tech space point to, oh, they, you know, they look at Airbnb and they're like, oh, what a super smart move they had, you know, scraping all the Craigslist listings and then reaching out to the folks. And you're like, yeah, okay, it, it's smart, but it was also um, a violation of Craigslist terms of service, uh, a violation of email privacy laws, and, um, and pretty ethically suspect as yeah. well. So, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's always given us the classic example of the ultimate growth hack. That's really where I think the obsession begins. A lot of people refer back to that example, but you did mention content marketing there. And I think that's a, a big thing that you yourself have invested in personally. And content marketing is, I think, quite challenging for many companies. So Rand, what, in your opinion, are the components of a good content marketing strategy, especially for B2B SaaS companies today? Yeah, I think you have to have a differentiator. So a reason that you are providing unique value and more value than other people who are producing similar content in the space. Uh, I think you need a distribution mechanism or, or a set of distribution channels uh, that, where you have unique advantages. Um, that, that could be because of the way you're putting out the content, it could be because of a uh, customer base you've already built, it could be because of good community you've got, it could be because of, I don't know, personal connections or network or fame that you've achieved, it could be uh, that you have, you know, a particularly powerful way to um, boost and amplify the reach of your, you know, messages on a particular platform. And by platform, I mean, I mean, any form of distribution. So that could be word of mouth. It could be, you know, offline. It could be the, um, you know, the bulletin boards in the back of the Starbucks. It could be uh, forums. It could be Reddit. It could be Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or Pinterest or um, by coming up at the top of Google searches, you know, whatever, whatever those distribution mechanisms are for you to earn eyeballs and then, for that content to provide value to people in unique ways so that they remember who you are, learn to know you, like you, trust you. Yeah, I think we 
can't have a podcast discussion together without talking about SEO. So is organic traffic acquisition something that should be at the heart of every company's content marketing strategy or should or could companies be looking at additional channels outside of that? How important is that nowadays? Um, organic is still a organic search is still a big opportunity, but no, I don't think every company should do it. Absolutely not. If you are no good at SEO, don't like SEO, um, you know, have other channels you'd rather invest in. Yeah. Don't do it. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a very competitive, more competitive than it's ever been. Uh, the opportunity is not growing as much as it was in the past. I think B2B SaaS is still a place where there's a ton of SEO opportunity that in a lot of consumer spaces, you know, um, places like travel and sports and celebrities and news and those kinds of things, Google has removed a lot of opportunity where they've, they've taken it for themselves. But, you know, a lot of B2B topics, Google's not really interfering as much. That being said, you know, I, th I think that there's a lot of other opportunities that people have and SEO doesn't have to be the only channel you consider. Yeah, yeah. and. One thing I want to ask you now, this was a super interesting topic that you wrote about in Lost and Founder, which was a fantastic book. And that was the difference between being behavior driven versus goal driven. And in general, we seem to be obsessed with achieving goals rather than thinking about how we actually get there. And studies show that when we make it about the work rather than the goal, outcomes improve. So could you elaborate on this and explain what does it mean for marketers and marketing teams in particular? So I think this is this is true across companies and across organizations, but the the fundamental core of the idea is that by saying I want us to achieve you know fifty thousand visits a month, uh, go right, get us there, marketing team. You you tend to have uh, a a worse outcome than if you say hey. Uh, we see that um, video content is working well for us. Uh, marketing team, I want you to invest in improving the quality and the traction that each video we produce uh, every week or whatever it is, you know, two a week, one a day, whatever. Uh, I want you to invest in improving those and uh, the behavior should be, you know, we get that video out on time every time. Uh, each one is better than the last one go and it tends to be the case that you improve the outcome you get you get to that goal faster by investing in the behavior uh rather than the rather than just marking the goal and i think this is what great this is what great managers and great ceos do is they sort of find and recognize things that are working and then they invest in those behaviors they invest in the, in the behaviors of their people they invest in their own behaviors and then they uh, see extraordinary results rather than saying, okay, everybody go get extraordinary results. Yeah. I think this is super interesting. I, I totally know the situation where marketers are like, okay, we need 500 leads per month. Let's go. Let's try and figure it out. But I know you're a big American football and Green Bay Packers fan. And this actually reminds me a lot of the former NFL coach, Bill Walsh's book on leadership, the score takes care of itself. And he pretty much said to his team, the San Francisco 49 is that if we focus on the process, then the results will come. So his mm -hmm. team, they focused on the work and behavior, i.e. executing football plays and not the goal, i.e. scoring more than their opponent. And they ended up winning a bunch of Super Bowls, 
in the 80s by taking this mindset. So I think that's actually a very good book to read as a follow-up if anyone's interested in learning more about this. I'm not sure if you've read that book yourself. No, no, I haven't. Yeah, yeah, okay. You'll have to add it to your list. It's uh, it's super good and it resonated very strongly with with what you spoke about there. But hmm. um, I'd love to talk about your new company, Spark Toro. So why did you decide to build Spark Toro specifically and what's the big problem that you're solving and how is it going to help marketers? Yeah, so this was something that um, my co-founder and I observed over you know, many years, both of us were, were in the SEO field and, and Casey had been at uh, Wistia, the video hosting company out in Boston, as well as HubSpot. Yeah. And what we saw was, you know, a consistent problem that marketers face is that we, we regularly have to do uh, campaigns that include some form of outreach, right? So for example, you know, Edward, let's say uh, you are going to, you're going to launch this episode of your podcast and you want to make sure that it uh, attracts the right audience. And so you might say, okay, well, we talked about B2B SaaS and we talked a little bit about SEO. Um, you know, we talked about uh, Rand Fishkin, we talked about Moz and SparkToro. So let me go find the people who are interested in those topics and then figure out uh, what are the publications and people and accounts uh, that those people pay attention to. Because if I can get amplification from the sources of influence to that group, I know that I'll reach them and I'll be likely to, you know, to have them come and listen to the podcast. How do you do that? I mean, this is the most fundamental thing in marketing, right? Like every time we do it, we launch anything. Every time we launch a blog post or a new product or a new campaign or, you know, try and reach a new audience in a new city, whatever it is. What do we do? I, I did this with my book. You know, my uh, my publisher sent me a list. They said, "Hey, tell us uh, who, you know, give us 150 people that you want us to send a copy of your uh, an early copy of your book to with a handwritten note, um, asking them to read and you know take a photo with themselves of the book and and amplify it." And and I sort of went, uh, I I guess I guess I'll look for people who who follow me and like me, who have lots of followers on Twitter. That was sort of my like, fingers crossed, I hope that process works. I don't know if it did. I, I, to be honest, I don't think, I mean, that's not a very smart process. What I, in an ideal world, in an ideal world, what I do is I, I go to, um, you know, a search engine that gave me audience intelligence data and I type in um, entrepreneurs, uh, founders, um, startups, basically those three words, I look for people who are interested in those things. And I'd hope that I could get it. What I could get returned was, all right, yeah, there's uh, 10 million of those people. Here are the uh, 150 publications and people and podcasts and, you know, YouTube channels and all that sort of stuff that those 150 people listen to, pay attention to, read, follow. Great. There's my list. <laughs> But, but nothing like that exists. You can't do it. You have to do it totally manually, right? I mean, the, the best way to do it is go find a, a sample set of a thousand of those people and steal their phones and look at all the things that they <laughs> follow and press, right? But even that's impossible. So uh, Casey and I sort of realized that through, through big data and through sampling, this is possible, right? Essentially, um, you can figure out you know, you can create this idea of profiles with biographical, psychographical data attached to them 
across the web and then pull you know a sample set of those profiles pull a few thousand of those profiles and look at the websites that they share the most and link to the most look at the accounts that they follow across social media the most look at what they tweet about or what they uh, post about on uh, their reddit account or which youtube channels they've subscribed to or all those kinds of things right this this data enough of this data is public enough and there are enough people who've made it public that if you crawl and index all that data in the right way you can do you can solve this problem and so that's essentially what we're building is a search engine for audience intelligence. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I think this is going to be super important when marketing teams are developing their marketing strategy and, and content marketing strategy and trying to understand the audience who they're trying to reach. And I think we've all been in that situation where people have created a content piece and they're like, okay, right, what are we going to do now? So starting from there sounds super good. And I'm definitely going to take your advice and, and do that with, with this podcast and, and the rest of the episodes that we have coming. But uh, I, I would love, could you also give us some insight and a sneak peek into how you're actually developing your own marketing strategy at SparkToro? Yeah, that's a, a, it's sort of an interesting one because, you know, with Moz, obviously I, I blogged every, you know, five nights a week for six years. Um, and then, you know, started hiring people and went, went down to a, a few fewer nights um, and had, had other folks uh, sort of fill in and take over that. Um, I did, you know, Whiteboard Friday for 11 years, yeah. <laughs> um, filming a video a week and, um, did, you know, imp obviously improved that uh, over time. I, you know, Moz put out an extraordinary amount of content. Uh, to be honest, you know, the, I don't think the business or the software ever caught up to the popularity of Moz's content. And, and to be honest, I'm, I'm proud of it. I mean, I think that, you know, the, what Moz produced uh, while I was there was, you know, content that helped millions of people every month to learn SEO and do SEO better. And that, you know, I think that made a, a big difference in a lot of people's lives and helped them in their careers. And that's awesome. Um, but that being said, I, it is not the strategy I'm pursuing with SparkToro. Um, I think that there's a sort of a fundamental shift happening in how uh, competitive the content world is, how difficult it is to get attention, uh, how all of the platforms, you know, everything from Facebook and Twitter and, um, and Reddit to Google itself, making it harder and harder to earn traffic from them, you know, keeping more of yeah. the traffic for themselves. Uh, and trying to keep people on their websites. So, in in this case, one of the the primary things we are trying we are trying to do as far as content strategy is make it uh, tools and interactive content, because we believe those are things that none of the major networks will cannibalize. So, meaning like, hey, here's a free Twitter tool to show you what percent of any Twitter what percent of any accounts followers are fake, you know, spam, bots, um, propaganda accounts, that kind of thing. And that's something that interests a lot of people and, you know, got us a lot of attention and, you know, people come back and, and visit that um, all the time, right? They sort of bookmark it and they search for it and they go to it specifically. Um, so different than, you know, different than here's an article about how to do some B2B SaaS marketing. Um, it's here's a piece of software that you can use for free. We've made a lot of our marketing for SparkToro interactive. You know, we have another tool that um, 
basically it's a news aggregator website, a little bit like TechMeme or Hacker News, uh, but specifically for marketing. So you can go to um, sparktoro.com slash trending and connect your Twitter account, and then it will count all the uh, tweets of URLs that you send as votes and aggregate those with the you know, 10,000 other people who've connected, 10,000 other marketers who've connected their accounts there. And then every day it shows you sort of, here's the, here's the news that marketers are tweeting about. And here's what's hot in the marketing space. And is, this works well because marketers are very active on Twitter. Um, but yeah, that, that's something that like a thousand people visit every day. They just bookmark, they go back multiple times a day. Great way to capture and keep an audience as opposed to, hey, here's a piece of content. Okay, I read it, I'm done. Yeah, and I think this is quite similar to what HubSpot has done very well. Of course, HubSpot have done a huge amount of content marketing and they've invested a lot in that, but they also created quite a few tools as a way to generate demand. So there was their famous website grader, the mm -hmm. email signature tool, a bunch of other things. And I know that those were really, really effective for HubSpot. So it's interesting to see you take that similar strategy. And I've also seen some of the tools you've been sharing. I noticed that Donald Trump apparently has a lot of fake followers. Is that yeah, which I, I don't I don't necessarily know that he did something actively to get those. But yes, um, yeah. yeah, we found I think that uh, 60, 61 percent. So basically, okay. when we released the fake followers tool, we looked and almost almost half the people who tried it, you know, they try everyone tries their own account. Yes. And then pretty much everyone tried Donald Trump. <laughs> they were like, wait, fake followers. I bet Trump. Let's see what he has. Um, and so we basically ran an analysis over all of his followers instead of a, just a sample, which is what we normally do with the tool. And uh, yep, it was extremely high. Yeah, we could, we could definitely go into politics, but let's not do that. I'm sure Trump would probably just shake that off as fake news. But um, I'm going to ask actually a hypothetical question. Since you went into SparkToro with a huge audience of marketers from you know, all the amazing work that you have done at Moz. So if you were starting SparkToro without that hard-earned luxury, how would you approach marketing and what strategy would you take to grow the business from scratch? Would it actually be different from the approach you took? Hmm. Yeah, I think it almost certainly would. I think I would first try to understand a lot more about my audience and um, build up a network uh, inside that. I might, you know, I might be, I don't know, um, a more heavy blogger and potentially a consultant for a little while uh, before I tried to do it. Because I think there's, there's just a huge amount of value in knowing your market and having a lot of connections in that space before you try and build a business in it. Yeah. And in the book, Lost and Founder, coming back to that, you, you shared so much valuable advice on not just marketing, but how to build a company. You've mentioned some lessons that you've learned already that you've applied to Spock Toro and a slightly different approach you took, especially when it comes to the content marketing strategy and, and the overall marketing strategy. But what were some of the big learnings that you took from your time at Moz when you built that company that you've now applied when starting Spark Toro? I mean, a lot of it is very different. I think I, maybe this is me just wanting to experiment or just wanting to build a different kind of business or do things differently. But yeah, I... I mean, uh, I've gone kind of almost the entirely opposite direction. So whereas Moz okay. you know, sort of grew quickly and became a 200-person company, um, raised you know, three rounds of venture capital, um, with SparkToro, we're not planning to raise any institutional money. 
uh, keeping it extremely small. It's just Casey and I, we, we raised money. We raised 1.3 million, but in a, a very unusual sort of angel only round that lets us do profit sharing and distributions. Um, and we're, we're keeping it just the two of us until we've got a working product that's making us some money so that we have, you know, a very long runway to make sure this thing works out. So yeah, just, I think, I think the lessons that I learned from Moz were that that style of company is not something that I wanted to do again. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was so great to read Lost and Founder and, and read the lessons and, and, hear your experiences and I think it's a fantastic book and I, I really hope everybody who's listening and hasn't actually read it goes goes out and reads it because it's such a good book so many lessons not just in terms of marketing but how to actually build a SaaS company and we actually opened up this discussion by looking at how much the SaaS space has evolved over the last 10 to 15 years so I actually want to round things out by going full circle and returning to where we started so from a marketing perspective what are some of the strategies and the tactics that worked for you back in the early days of Moz and that still hold true today, some 15 years later? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's absolutely true. maybe even more so that um, earning people's attention organically what, through whatever means uh, is, a, is sort of a wonderful cheat code to have a, you know, a high, a strong opportunity to get business from them, right? So if people already know who you are, have heard of you, have heard good things about you, um, they've been to your website, they, um, you know, they trust you, they like you, your opportunity with them is tremendously higher uh, than if, if they're sort of a, a first-time visitor who's maybe interested in solving the problem you're solving, but has no idea who you are, uh, never heard of you, you know, no pre-existing relationship. I think it's yeah. also true, also definitely true that um, the as much as many marketers and many organizations talk about how, I guess, how sort of impersonal the internet is, right? How it gives you scale. Yeah. and lets you scale beyond the individual uh people really tend to buy from and trust and associate people with companies and i think it can be i don't know almost um it's the right way to put it uh, almost dangerous to get away from that idea and to say hey we are not we're not a group of people this is a this is a company this is a corporation and so like don't you know don't don't be human um and there, a lot of companies are are like that, intentionally or not. Um, but I think that 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 shines through in in everything. It shines through in your in your job postings and who you attract to hire the you know to to build the company with you. And it shines through in your marketing and in your content. And it shines through in your product. And it, um, you know, I think we've all we've all visited websites. We've probably all even bought from places that where we where we don't have a, a people association and thus don't have nearly the loyalty that we would um, to an organization where we know people it speaks to the power of, of building relationships. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's quite interesting. Some of the things you mentioned, because I feel that a few years ago, perhaps five years ago, it was, I think, easier to build engagement, particularly on social channels around your company accounts mm -hmm. and around the company brand. But what we're seeing now is that that's actually 
quite challenging for, for our own company, but our clients as well, the customers who we work with. And now it's really about the people. People follow the people, not the company. So yeah, I think this is definitely, definitely something uh, to keep in mind. But Rand, this was awesome. So I think what we could do before we wrap up is move to our closing questions and the fast five challenge. So all I'm going to do is ask you five questions and all you need to do is answer as quickly as possible. So are you ready? Ready. Let's do it. All right. So first question, what's the one book that you would recommend others to read? One book. I, there's a book called The Billionaire Who Wasn't. It's about Chuck Feeney, the, uh, the builder of uh, duty-free stores. I highly recommend that. Okay, great. Second question, a SaaS company you love and why? Ooh, SaaS company. I really love uh, Typeform. I think they're based in, in Spain, but they are uh, sort of a, a SurveyMonkey competitor. I love their interface uh, and, and how beautiful their product is, how easy to use it is. Uh, I love the people who work there. They've, they've been really kind to me over the years. Um, yeah. Typeform, yeah. Yeah. We're huge fans of Typeform based over in Barcelona. Down in yeah. Spain. Actually, our very first guest on the Growth of Podcast was Pedro Magricho, the director of growth at Typeform. Oh, there you go. Shout out to the Typeform team down in Barcelona. Um, third question, your favorite place to read about marketing online? Ooh, gosh. This is a hard one. That is a hard one. I feel like it is so distributed these days. There's yeah. no, there's no like single uh, source that I consistently love. Maybe Indie Hackers. Okay. Yeah, cool. IndieHackers.com has a great community of you know sort of company builders, but a lot of people trying to do early stage marketing, and uh, and it's pretty awesome to see what they're up to. Yeah, great. Now we can't talk about SaaS without talking about metrics at least once. So fourth question: most important growth metric. Ooh, I think it really depends on your business. For Moz, for example, it's, it's growth rate. For SparkToro, I, I think it's going to be profit. Okay, perfect. And fifth and final question, what would be your one piece of advice for fellow SaaS marketers? Um, I would say you don't have to, if there's an existing orthodoxy, everybody doing things one way, a best practice, uh, you don't have to follow that. You can find your own way and oftentimes that is even better than the best practice that's not true of all forms of marketing but many times especially in the strategic approach to how you do marketing finding your unique niche your unique way of going about it is a big win yes totally agree love it well perfect rand i have to say a massive massive thank you for joining us on the growth of podcast it's been a true pleasure having you on the show it's a pleasure being here thank you for having me That was Rand Fishkin on his field guide to B2B SaaS marketing. And you can follow Rand and give him a shout out on Twitter at Rand Fish. And what I'd also love for you to do is tweet out to Rand and I at Rand Fish and at Nordic Edward and let us know what you thought of the episode. If you have any other thoughts or feedback, then of course, you can always reach out to me on LinkedIn or via email at edward at advancedb2b.fi. So thank you so much for listening to the Growth of Podcast brought to you by Advance B2B. And this is your host, Edward Ford, signing off. And make sure you check out advancedb2b.com for more content and resources on everything B2B SaaS growth. It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest
our customers.